Hey, Central Michigan University, this is Ben Solis. You usually hear my voice on the Raving Geeks podcast, which I am a co-host, but today we're doing something a little special. As many of you know, uh, David Bowie, uh, great musician, songwriter, one of the most iconic rock and pop stars of our time, passed away on Sunday night, early Monday morning. Um, I wrote a column in Thursday's issue of Central Michigan Life. You can go and check it out. Kind of eulogizing David and uh, why I like his music so much. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about some of the content that was in the column, what I felt made David Bowie so great, and kind of break down the top five songs that are really important to me in his music. Uh, For those of you that don't know David Bowie's music, I I kind of, uh, I don't pity you, but you should definitely check it out. Listening to David Bowie was probably one of the most intriguing musical experiences I had as a kid. Um, I played drums since I was 12 years old, and I remember vividly stealing my dad's David Bowie CD one night, and I was hooked. I never gave it back, and I mentioned that in the column, so sorry, Pops. But David was always really special to me because of how expansive he was. You know, you could listen to any era of David Bowie and know exactly what he was going through at that time, what kind of style he was doing, because uh, it's also very different. You know, there's this, this kind of singer-songwriter thing in the beginning, very, like, powerful glam rock stuff, kind of the Ziggy Stardust era. Later on, New Wave, you know, he influenced the likes of the Talking Heads, King Crimson later on. And then as he went through all of that, I mean, he made fantastic pop music. Let's Dance is one of the uh, seminal 80s pop songs of its time. Um, So there's a lot to work with there, uh, and I don't blame people for not knowing because the catalog is super dense. Uh, But for people who want to check this out afterward, after hearing all this stuff, um, I did make a Spotify playlist, and you can check it out at the end of my column online at cm-life.com. It's in the opinion section. But just taking a little step back, um, I wrote the column because the night he died... I actually had a pretty special experience with David's music. Um, A week ago was David's 69th birthday, and he released his new album, Black Star, on that day, as well as the video for Lazarus. Now, prior to that, he released the actual titular track, Black Star, the video for it. And I watched it because, of course, I was going to watch anything new David Bowie. I'm a total freak for his music, so why not? And as I was watching this thing, I noticed that there was this kind of like strange occult religious imagery to a lot of the video. And while that doesn't really necessarily freak me out, the fact that it was in kind of a, a Bowie video struck me as odd. Over the last decade, I've kind of seen him kind of make this shift in his lyrics and his persona to this really kind of darker, more occult thing. And just kind of watching that, really irked me. So I delayed it. I delayed listening to the album right when it came out. Days. Days went by. And finally I realized how silly that was because this is my favorite artist. Why would I delay not listening to something that my favorite artist put out? So I kind of in a ritual fashion lit a candle. Yeah, I know. Laid out on my floor and let the whole album wash over me. And it was brilliant. I did it a couple of times. And as the day went on, later that night, I did it once more before bed, around midnight, which is 
pretty much around the time that David actually passed. And I remember waking up at the end of it, the music was over, and there was just this awkward silence going on. And I remember waking up saying, oh, it must be over. And I blew out the candle, and within hours, he, w- he was dead. And it was the strangest experience in the world, you know, having kind of wrestling with this idea that, you know, maybe your favorite artist has moved on from your conception of him, moved on to a place where you don't really understand, and then have it affect the way you see his music to all of a sudden him not being there at all. And I don't really get caught up in when celebrities die, you know, even if they were influential, because people, people die, it's, it's inevitable. But as I mentioned at the beginning of my column, David always seemed immortal, and he always seemed above it. Um, so the loss of him is, is particularly tragic. And a lot of people will look at that and say, oh, he's just another rock star. You know, this is no different than, you know, John Lennon dying or Freddie Mercury. And I'll give you that. Um, But those guys were as important to all of that as I think David was. And sometimes David gets overlooked in the grand scheme of things because he's not the Beatles, because he wasn't Queen. Um, But honestly, we wouldn't have the great artistic push that we did from either of those artists if it wasn't for David. David worked with John Lennon pretty closely. In fact, he plays guitar on fame. He worked, obviously, with Freddie Mercury pretty closely, Under Pressure, one of the greatest rock songs of all time. And even when Freddie died, David was the one who did the most moving tribute to him at his concert. So aside from expansive music, aside from, you know, influencing all these other artists, whether they were contemporaries or people who came after him, One of the things that made David Bowie so great was not even his own songwriting. It was the people around him that he decided to make music with. And I talk to big music fans, especially in our office a lot of times. My advisor, Dave, big rock music fan. And we always talk about the different guitar players that played with Bowie and how much different they all sounded. Mick Ronson, for one. uh, Carlos Alomar. For me personally, Adrian Ballou and and, uh, Robert Fripp from King Crimson. They made fantastic albums with him, and uh, you really wouldn't have the musicianship that he exhibited without those other people. And that's really cool to me. You know, um, people often get caught up in their artistry and think that they are the only ones that can do it well, despite hating themselves and hating their art and the process. But David was never like that. He never thought anything he did was crap. But he also realized that he couldn't do it alone. And I think that's really just very moving to be that humble, to realize that you need other people to be successful, whether it's music, whether it's school, whether it's just your regular life. And I think that's one of the best lessons that David taught me. So aside from all this sappy stuff, uh, I'm going to break down what were the top five songs that affected my life most importantly. And they all kind of span different eras. They're all kind of centered around the main, like, 1970s era. You know, there's some 80s stuff that kind of made the list that was really cool, but, you know, that was his most profound era. Songs like Rock and Roll Suicide, the last track on Ziggy Stardust, his probably most well-known album and most profound statement in his glam rock era. The cool thing about Rock and Roll Suicide is that, yeah, it's the last track on Ziggy Stardust, And that's the album that made him a household name. 
But it's really kind of cool because it's a post-mortem on glam rock as a whole. Kind of a, an afterword on what made that era great and what made it so destructive. You know, as he moved on past that whole Ziggy Stardust thing, he, he really ventured into New Wave. He really ventured more into punk and kind of this weird avant-garde pop. And at the time, anything like that was, you know, passe. It was underground. Um, people didn't really want to get into it because it was too complex to get into, but also wasn't very popular. And uh, David chose to eschew all of that to move on. And Rock and Roll Suicide, the lyrics kind of talk about that. Yeah, it's kind of the real death of the actual characters that you start us and the concept of the story. But those larger, complex issues are what made that song so great. The last time that they played it live was actually the last time that David ever did his Ziggy Stardust character. So you could really see how that profoundly made him want to move on. Next, everyone will probably say that this is his greatest song ever. And no, it's not Space Oddity, as much as everybody wants to say that. It's another track called Life on Mars, which is as spacey as Space Odyssey, I suppose. There is an epic sweep to that tune that is hard to describe in words. It starts off with a twinkling piano, moves on to a verse. Then there's this large crescendo rising up to the chorus. A lot of people do consider this to be David's greatest song. Telegraph UK once put it on its 100 greatest albums of all time. And the BBC once called it a cross between a Broadway musical and a Salvador Dali painting. If that doesn't intrigue you heads out there, I don't really know what will. Third is Heroes, and I'm sure a lot of people have heard this song. Even if they don't know that they've heard Heroes before, they have. If they didn't know it was David Bowie, they'll listen to it and find out it's Bowie and be like, oh, I love that tune. I never knew that. Personally, for me, this is my favorite on the list. Heroes, as a song and as an album, because that's actually off of the album Heroes, is the centerpiece to the classic Berlin trilogy. It's a trio of albums he produced between 1977 and 1980, uh, which was co-written and produced by Brian Eno, one of his greatest songwriting partners and producers and an early innovator of ambient music. All of those albums span rock, new wave, kraut rock, all the stuff that I mentioned that he was trying to move away from when he finished Ziggy Stardust. But he blended all of them so perfectly in a way that it, it didn't seem unnatural. And those albums really kind of just exposed that. He was also getting clean at the time. He was uh, a big cocaine addict during the 1970s. And he realized how destructive that was on his life. So he packed everything up. He moved to Berlin and made these albums. Took Iggy Pop along with him. And they kind of hung out, made music. But what's cool about Heroes is that a lot of people look at those albums as statements, particularly the song Heroes. If you look at the lyrics, there's kind of an anti-Soviet message talking about the large divide between West and East Berlin and how different life is for people on the other side of that wall. In fact, it was so controversial that the Soviet Union banned people from listening to that song because they were afraid that they were going to scale that wall and try to go to a better life. Now, if you want to avoid all the political stuff, a lot of people think that it is like kind of a major gay anthem. Um, a lot of people, obviously, I mean, David Bowie is one of the greatest like gender-fluid figures we've ever had. 
not only in rock music, but just in general. Um, he was constantly cross-dressing, constantly playing with androgyny. And for years, there was swirling rumors that he was gay or he was bisexual. But it didn't really matter because it was just David Bowie. You know, he was on his own different level with his sexuality. Oddly enough, I mentioned that Iggy Pop trailed along with him to Berlin. Iggy Pop was produce, producing music at the time, which David had co-written as well. But he was also getting clean along with David Bowie. Both of them had some major, major substance abuse issues that they were trying to get over. Also, a lot of people think that they were lovers. Now, that's never been proven. It's all been rumor. But it's odd that a song like Heroes, which is considered such a profoundly, like, stepping out of the closet, being proud of who you are, realizing that you could be a hero in your own right to somebody else, all happened while he was hanging out with Iggy Pop, who was obviously rumored to be, you know, his significant other. It's a cool story to think about, but it's even cooler to think about the impact that it's had on people. And that's why it's one of my favorites. The second to last one is kind of a weird outlier. It's Golden Years, and while that is a actually really popular tune, I think when people think about it, they really don't put it on their list of greatest songs. The beat is kind of plotting. It really doesn't go anywhere. Um, but what I like about it so much is what it says about his own life at that point in time, too. That's when he was in this thin white Duke period. It was kind of the middle period between the Ziggy Stardust era and then the Krautrock era of the Berlin Trilogy. He was a little lost. He didn't really know what was going on. He always makes jokes that he was uh, asleep through the 1970s. And Golden Years kind of is this nice look back at everything that he's done and what he might do. Now that he's dead, I suppose that has a lot more weight to me than it did before. And that's why I made the list. Finally, the last one that made the most impact to me was Ashes to Ashes. Now what's cool about Ashes to Ashes is that it's off the album called Scary Monsters. Uh, and I think the actual song, the titular song of that is Scary Monsters and the Super Creeps. While that's not the name of the album, it's kind of cool to think about. Always had this very strange, almost sci-fi fantasy imagery in all of his lyrics. Ashes to Ashes is particularly cool because what I like most about music is when people can build a mythos and a mythology within their music. It's why I like literature. It's why I like films. Because if you have a director who's making something that's in a larger universe, you can kind of bring up these little references to other things. And music is no different. Frank Zappa did that with his music. Guns N' Roses oddly did that with their own music. And the Beatles had so many different recurring characters that would show up throughout their albums. It just it made it seem like it was its own universe. David Bowie is no exception. In Space Oddity, which was recorded in 1969 and was released in the early 70s, talks about a wayward astronaut named Major Tom who leaves Earth in a spacecraft, gets lost, and eventually goes out of communication with planet Earth. While a lot of people kind of just leave that where it is in its own singular context, Ashes to Ashes actually brings up Major Tom again. Now David is able to use this Major Tom figure as kind of a metaphor for himself. Um, him getting lost and wayward in the 1970s, trying to find himself again in the 80s, and then trying to wrestle with the person that he's actually become. In Ashes to Ashes, he actually brings up the lyric, Ashes to Ashes, funk to funky, we know that Major Tom's a junkie, strung out on heaven's high, hitting an all-time low. 
Now, it's really cool in context of him getting clean and looking back on his life, but it's also really cool that he was able to bring this character up that meant a lot to people in his early career and bring it back again and make it so meaningful. Also, you know, he's got great musicians on it, and the synth line at the end is probably one of the most killer synthesizer lines I've ever heard in my entire life. You know, as I'm looking back on this, it's hard not to try to tear up right in front of you guys. It's hard not to think about the influence that he's had on my life and so many others, and why that, you know, people mourned with such an unshakable anguish on Monday morning. I guess I'll always look back at all of this as a reminder of our own fragility, our own mortality, and that even people who seem larger than life often suffer the same fates of all mortal men. And at the same time, too, I'll look back on his music and remember all these happy times that I had learning how to play it. So if you don't know David's music, I implore you, please go and look at it. Go listen. Go watch his films. And, uh, yeah. Thank you very much, guys.